0: Hi, everyone. It is Tuesday morning, December the 8th, and I'm Aya here in Crystal Lake, Illinois, northern Illinois, above Chicago and a little bit to the west, near Woodstock, where Blue Lotus Temple is. Uh, this morning, I have to start out with an apology because I've been telling all of you, be, to, I was, was telling all of you to be ready and uh, come to the book group which I had put in my calendars this last night. And uh, then I got a message from Tessa at the office very kindly uh, mentioning that she had it down as the second and the fourth Mondays. And I had put it in my December calendar for the first and the third. So um, I hope I hope. There weren't too many of you who were totally thrown off and confused by that. Book group is next Monday night, so you have time to make notes and read the whole book again by then. So I'm really sorry about that. I was um, I was I was confusing schedules from other places that have their have their uh, dates where I'm doing some teaching where the dates are like every other week, and so I just calculated incorrectly for the month of December. So next Monday at 5.30 Central Time, everyone's still invited, and we'll we'll just have a deeper discussion. We'll have plenty of time to think about what we'd like to talk about. Um, So my apologies, and uh, thank you. Everyone who contacted me was so nice about it, And Tessa was wonderful at the office, trying to kindly tell me, what have you done? You've been telling people one thing on Facebook, and it's not right. So uh, people are very kind. So if you're as kind to other people as you are to me, this this world must be, the world you're in must be an incredible place. So... Um, I wanted to read something that I have carried around with me for a long time. And it's, I, when I found this article, it's a, it's from an old, I think, 2013 tricycle. But it is a very good article. I'm, I'm trying to condense it down so I'm not reading the whole long thing. But this is called Bait and Switch. Attention needs to evolve into mindfulness. So he's talking about how we can actually evolve into be, with our with the right strategies and techniques with our practice. We can go into true mindfulness and be more aware of what that means. And we've discussed this in Sutta study. And um, one of the questions was, can you have hindrances? in your in your mind and also be practicing mindfulness at the same time. And the truth is you really can't, but what you can do is kind of alternate between the two. If you catch that hindrance arising, like restlessness or aversion um, or desire, you can if you catch it early enough, you can you can see it as it's arising and halt it and investigate, and then you can get back into that state of mindfulness. But you have to know that technique, and you have to work with it. So I think this article is is beautiful. It's from Andrew Olinsky, Olen- and uh, he's a very well known teacher. And this, I think, it's a v- very well written article. <laughs> And he talks about that kind of con there's the views that um, the two the two views on one hand there is the view that one can be mindful of anything, and that it is precisely become it is precisely by becoming mindful of unwholesome states that one is able to abide in such states without having to judge them, suppress them, or act on them. On the other hand, there is the view that since mindfulness is a wholesome state, and anger and hatred are unwholesome states, and since one cannot experience two such opposite states in the same mind moment, it follows that what appears to be mindfulness of unwholesome states is actually the rapid modulation between one and the other, moments of mindfulness and moments of anger. And he's taking the position, I would like to argue in defense of the second position and offer an effective method of a positive bait and switch that allows us to neutralize the unwholesome and steer the mind stream toward the cessation of suffering. So, this is, he beautifully talks about it, and not just talks about it, but he offers a very specific way to... To uh, recognize when this is happening and how to move, to move gradually from that state of the two uh, mindfulness and then the the hindrances being there. They can't be there at the same time. But when we see see one arise, we can nurture it or we can act to move away from it. So this is what he talks about beautifully. So we, when we see the two, we're using a, a kind of peripheral thought, like peripheral vision. You, it, that's how it feels, too. There can be little doubt that when one looks very closely, one is not able to hold two things in mind in the very same moment. When it appears that we are doing this, we are using kind of a peripheral thought, much like peripheral vision, to hold some information in short-term memory or below the threshold of conscious awareness. But when we drill down into the experience, we will find that to know one thing very clearly, we need to withdraw attention from other competing data. As the Buddha put it, if one frequently thinks and ponders upon thoughts of ill will, One has abandoned the thought of non-ill-will, and one's mind inclines to thoughts of ill-will. That's from the Majjhima Nikaya 19. There can also be little doubt that mindfulness is a wholesome state. It is a sankhara, which is a volitional response or attitude, towards the object of experience cognized by consciousness. Mindfulness is an attitude of confident equanimity, a presence of mind in which the object is neither favored nor opposed. Anger and hatred are also sankaras, as are all the other unwholesome states. But these are responses characterized by aversion, a very different emotional tone than mindfulness. One simply cannot experience aversion and equanimity in the same moment, for they are vastly different qualities of mind. Yet one may be able to cycle quickly between these two states, as the mind so habitually does in many of its processes. When we say we are mindful of aversion, for example, What we really mean is that we are aware of aversion or that we are giving our attention to the state of aversion. One of the casualties of the the success of mindfulness as a trend in psychotherapy and as an object of scientific study is that it often gets confused with mere attention. Okay, now remember that. Mindfulness is not just attention. It's In in the Buddhist theology, philosophy, mindfulness is uh, much more complex than that. According to models of Buddhist psychology, it is possible to pay attention to unwholesome states of experience and even to do so deliberately and in a disciplined manner. But attention is able to mature into mindfulness only in the absence of unwholesome state. Let me read that sentence again. But attention is able to mature into mindfulness only in the absence of unwholesome states. Okay, so Buddhist psychology says you can pay attention to unwholesome states of experience and even do it deliberately and in a disciplined manner. But attention is able to mature into mindfulness only in the absence of unwholesome states. When we are angry, we can know very well that we are angry. But this kind of knowing is not transformative. We only become mindful of that anger when it becomes an echo or shadow of itself in a subsequent mind moment at which point it can be examined as a thought object with an attitude of interest and non-attachment. In other words, with mindfulness. Now, how does this work? So, how can that memory of anger or that shadow of anger not uh, recreate the anger in us? This is how the bait and switch works. If you are furious, it will not work to simply be mindful of your anger, The force of the anger is so strong and its emotional momentum so compelling that it is not capable of clearing out of the mind for a moment to allow true mindfulness to emerge. However, you can pay attention to bodily manifestations of anger. How does your body feel when you are angry? When you are invited to explore these physical symptoms in greater and greater detail, an attitude of careful investigation can gradually develop. For example, you might consider how the nuanced texture of the constriction of your jaw muscles change in subtle ways from one moment to the next. That gets, we can feel that a lot when there's anger, especially, or tension. (laughs) So, again, for that one, for example, you might consider how the nuanced texture of the constriction of your jaw muscles change in subtle ways from one moment to the next. Using this bait-and-switch model, you can loosen your hold on the thought or memory that provoked the anger and experience some consecutive moments of mindfulness of the body. With some wholesome momentum thus established, you can gradually steer your attention toward investigating the emotion of anger itself. Now that anger is no longer the burning emotional charge that regards all objects of experience with ferocity, but rather has become a thought or memory of the emotions and is thus a mind object rather than a sankhara, it can be examined with equanimity and with mindfulness. The anger no longer holds the mind in its grip, but is regarded at arm's length, so to speak, as an object of interest. It is only under such circumstances that mindfulness becomes transformative. You can pay attention to your anger all day, allowing it to manifest without judgment as it burns its way deeper into the heart. But it is not until you are able to abandon the anger, if only for a moment, that the stage becomes available to mindfulness. And it is only when mindfulness is given a chance to settle itself deeply into your habits and character traits that the ground becomes gradually less hospitable for the cultivation of anger and more fertile for the growth of wisdom, you gradually see with ever-increasing clarity that anger is just an impermanent and impersonal emotional state fueled by a selfish and fearful self and that it only gives rise to suffering. With such insight, unwholesome states gradually arise less often and with less intensity. Attention needs to evolve into mindfulness if mindfulness is to evolve into wisdom. So, that's I think this is a beautiful article. And uh, if any of you would like a copy of it, just let me know. I'll try to to see if I can get a link to it. He's the uh, Andrew Olenski. He was a a teacher at the Bari Center in Buddhist Studies in Massachusetts. Uh, I don't know if he still lives there, but I'm sure he's probably still teaching there. And he wrote the book Unlimiting Mind. So you might want to check that book out, Unlimiting Mind. So... Work with your body to work with that anger. Let it let it give you that distance you need to get. You don't. You can't be mindful and angry at the same time. But you can have that feeling. You can have that uh, memory. I, I I love this article. Okay, I see some of you are asking for it. I'll get a link. I'll get a link for it because it just really, uh, it, it, it confirms an answer for myself, and it also gives these, really a very specific, because the Buddha taught that uh, mindfulness is very much uh, based on our memory. We need to be remembering things and remembering the wisdom teachings we've had to allow ourselves to be mindful. So this really talks about that, why it talks about memory, because you can't be mindful and angry at the same time, but that uh, we can work with we can work with anger, using the memory of that anger, and then using our body. I, I think it's just a well written article. And you know we work with that a lot. How does your body feel if you if you're meditating and you have some overwhelming, distracting emotion or disturbing emotion come over you. It could be restlessness. It might be that you're bored sitting there, so you, your body gets restless. You can use that as the thing to look at in your meditation. How does your body feel? How does your body feel when it's restless, when it's uh, anxious? And pinpoint those uh those places in your body specifically where you feel it and how does it feel? And begin begin practicing looking at that. And it is not, not until you are able to abandon that anger, if only for a moment, that the stage becomes available to mindfulness. And it's only when mindfulness is given a chance to settle itself deeply into your habits, and character traits that the ground becomes gradually less hospitable for the cultivation of anger and more fertile for the growth of wisdom. You gradually see with ever increasing clarity that anger is just an impermanent and impersonal emotional state, fueled by a selfish and fearful self and that it only gives rise to suffering. Ah, So we know that these things have to also become, we cultivate them. We have to, we, that doesn't happen overnight. We have to cultivate them. We may get the, the uh, we may see this very clearly when we talk about it or when we read something like this about it. But then we have to cultivate it in our own lives. We have to change our habit patterns. And so we have to work with it. So it's. Um, I think there's some great comments too. I, I couldn't read them while I was reading this, but I'll try really try to read the comments. Um, I, I just love this article. I love his writing. So I'm going to be looking for that book, Unlimiting Mind. So let's see. We have we have about. Five minutes, that's time for me to get my robes back on. And <laughs> This is this is a beautiful robe I have, and I don't wear it very much, and I think I needed to remember why. It tends to be one that wants to climb all over the place. It wants to leave. <laughs> so there are reasons why it, this beautiful robe is hanging in my closet. <laughs> not getting it worn as much as my older, softer ones that this really seem to have, they just really know how to hang right. So let's just spend a few minutes. We just have a little bit of time left, but um, just we've got enough time to sit and just let any anything that you got from that reading, just let that be floating through your mind or um, If you're going through, if you've had some disturbing emotions recently and you're not in them right now, if you are, you can certainly work with them, but um, maybe bring some of the physicality, some of the physical uh, manifestations of that and see if you can work with that, be aware of how it felt, or where where you typically feel those things in your body. Or just uh, let's have some quietness together, so you can just think about Olensky's Al- Andrew Olensky's Al- uh, thoughts and uh, the way he's explained really becoming truly mindful. So find a comfortable spot. Let your whole body relax around that nice uplifted spine. With each breath in, be aware that you're taking in energy. And as you exhale, be aware you're releasing energy. Oxygen we breathe in is our fuel, our source of energy, one of them. So just observe your body breathing. Breathing in energy, breathing out energy. that's part of our connection to other beings, other living things. Breathing in and breathing out. All living things take, take the nutrients they need Keep relaxing your body. Let there be a smile on your face that can help relax you, let you allow you to just be more open, more receptive. You can keep sitting, spend a few more minutes at least, just sitting with yourself, thinking about true mindfulness, or working with what you can see as the physical manifestations of those unwholesome states of mind. And I will talk to all of you. See you uh, Thursday. Remember, book group is next Monday night. (laughs) Yeah, Patty, I think you'll like the article. So be sure to uh, listen later because I read uh, parts from a really good article about mindfulness. So everyone, thank you so much for being a very important part of my practice. And I hope you have a beautiful day, and I will hopefully talk to all of you again on Thursday.